looking for lost arrow. It was mid-August when I made the trip to a state forest in northern Minnesota, a place about 40 miles or so south of the Canadian border. It's an area where I had been bear hunting for about a dozen years. On this particular trip, I was going up north to set up bait stations for the approaching bear season. I decided to take along our 15-month-old English pointer male that we had named Lost Arrow, also known as Hunter. It would give me a chance to spend some quality time with him, and maybe he would point or kick up a preseason grouse or two as I baited stations. Lost Arrow normally stuck pretty close, so I wasn't worried about losing him. I thought, even if he ranges out a little, he'll come back after a few minutes. By the time I got to the state forest, it was close to one thirty in the afternoon. I walked down a steep hill and baited the first station with grain and grease. Lost Arrow was nearby. But then, just like that, he disappeared. I made my way back up the hill, called his name, but he didn't show. Oh, well, I thought, he's probably back at the van. But when I got there, Lost Arrow was nowhere to be seen. I called some more, but he didn't show. I took my shirt and placed it in his portable kennel, and then set the kennel in the woods a little ways where I was parked. I walked up and down the road and then progressed to driving the van a little ways in both directions. I honked the horn and then called some more. After three hours had passed, the reality that I might never see Lost Arrow again began to set in. So I expanded my search and ranged out further. Driving on logging roads as far as I could, I would then hike back into some even more remote areas, constantly calling his name. Each time he returned to the kennel, it was clear he had not returned. To make matters worse, he had no identification on his collar. I went to a little town named Gein, which is located at the edge of the forest. There are only a handful of houses in this village, and a number are pretty dilapidated. I decided to go door-to-door -door describing my missing dog and handing out business cards with additional phone numbers scribbled on them where, I, where other family members could be reached. Several wonderful people from the little town, including about an 80-year-old man, joined in my search and even drove around in the forest roads looking for my dog. As hours passed, my attempts to find Lost Arrow grew even more futile. Whenever I stood on top of a hill that had been logged off and then gazed out over a vast cedar swamp or observed thick forests in every direction, my heart just sank. With darkness approaching, my hopes of ever seeing Lost Arrow again faded. Because I had no cell phone coverage, I drove to another town about eight miles away called Orr. I called home from a payphone, breaking the troubling news to my wife and our four daughters regarding Lost Arrow, and asked them to be praying. That night, the temperature dropped. I had not planned on staying overnight, so had to keep starting the van to drive back the chilly air. I listened to the news on the radio. At that time, there were some miners in another state that were trapped underground. I couldn't help but think of what their families were going through. I thought how powerless they must feel. I grieved and prayed for them. I also thought a lot about a lady in our church whose husband died, and a year later her son, along with two other pilots, disappeared in Alaska. Now, more than a year later, no wreckage had yet been found 
I found myself pouring out my heart for her broken heart. And what about those with wayward kids? How terrible it must be not having any idea where a son or daughter is, or even if your child is still alive. Or how about the parent who has a child abducted? The child is nowhere, but at the same time, the parents are constantly looking everywhere. How could a person not become entirely obsessed? Surely the loss of this dog was certainly nothing and unworthy of comparison. Being reminded of a little bit of what others were going through helped put things in perspective. Still, I knew our daughters would be brokenhearted and was becoming painfully aware of how much lost arrow had come to mean to me. I couldn't help but pray. God, you know where lost arrow is. He must be out of the range of my voice, but I know he's not out of the range of yours. Lord, please whisper in his ear and cause him to return. Periodically throughout the night, I would drive up and down the road, then stopping and climbing up on the roof of the van, I would call his name into the darkness in all directions and honk the horn. Then I would wait for a period of time. But the more I searched for him, the more my hopes sank. Although I have hunted this area for years, not only was the immensity of the wilderness overwhelming, but with all of the wolf scat, I knew it was possible he had been killed by a pack. Perhaps his curiosity had brought him in contact with a bear that clobbered him. I thought, this is like looking for a needle in a haystack, only worse because the needle keeps moving. Lost Arrow had now been gone close to 20 hours. I was going to have to head home. I wrote a detailed note and taped it on the portable kennel where I had parked when he disappeared. I decided to give some additional phone numbers to an elderly gentleman who lived a couple of miles down the road near the entrance to the state forest. It was now after 9 a.m. As I came out of the elderly man's driveway, his neighbor was getting on his motorcycle. I'd stopped the evening before, but because no one answered, I left a note on his door. He said he found the note, and if the dog showed up, he would give me a call. However, just as I was leaving, he said, You might want to check down at the end of this road. Whenever my brother visits and his dog takes off, that's the first place he heads. In my search, I had been down the dead-end road a couple of times, but wasn't sure anyone lived in the house, plus the numerous no-trespassing and keep-out signs intimidated me. But then the stranger said something that caught my attention. He stated, The wife will probably come to the door. He's pretty sick. He has cancer. The second he said, He has cancer. In my heart of hearts, I knew that this was part of God's perfect plan and that I was supposed to talk to this man. Suddenly, the search for the dog had meaning, and at the same time, my lost dog became exceedingly insignificant. As I drove to this isolated homestead, I prayed and asked God to give me the words he wanted relayed. As I pulled into the yard, out of the house stepped a man in his sixties, and his thin hair carried the obvious signs of chemotherapy. His name was John, but I saw no sign of his wife. I began, My name is Tom Rako, and I'm looking for a dog, but that's not really why I'm here. I then asked, John, do you believe in the providence of God, that God can direct people through circumstances? He said, yes, I do. I said, 
John, I'm a pastor, and when I heard that you had cancer, I immediately knew that the Lord wanted me to talk to you. I then found myself saying, John, God wants you to know that he is going through this trial with you. Despite the circumstances, he is here and wants to help you and your wife. The Lord was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. He was with the disciples when they experienced a storm on the Sea of Galilee. John, he wants you to know that he is with you as well. God wants you to know that he loves you. John explained the cancer had now spread to his brain. I asked, John, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? He paused and then responded, yes, I have, but it was a long time ago. I said, well, John, that's what you need to put your trust in. Put your trust in what Christ has already done for you on the cross. I asked if I could pray for him. He said, sure. I prayed for him and his wife, Cindy, who was evidently not at home. As I went to get into the vehicle, I turned and said, John, are you a deer hunter? He responded, of course. I said, I think I've got something for you. I rummaged through my van and found a rather beat-up little 40-page booklet titled Devotions for Deer Hunters and handed it to him. He assured me that he would read it, and I drove out of the yard. Now, only about 15 or at the most 20 minutes had passed since I had last left the kennel. However, I felt compelled to check it just one more time before the long five-and-a-half-hour drive home. I drove the two miles or so back up the road into the state forest. I couldn't believe it. To my utter amazement, there was Lost Arrow, our English pointer, sitting in the kennel. It seemed unbelievable. Although I didn't want to reward Lost Arrow's behavior, I was so glad to see him that on the way home, I pulled through a McDonald's drive-thru and bought him a double cheeseburger. Now I want to ask you, was it a mere coincidence that he showed up in the last 15 or 20 minutes? After having been gone 19 hours, was it by accident that Lost Arrow showed up right after I talked to John, a man dying of cancer who lives at the end of an isolated Den Eden Road? I don't think so. I'm convinced it was the providence of God that caused our paths to cross. But if you still are not convinced, there is more to this story I would like you to consider. About three weeks later, I decided to take another trip north. Unfortunately, my fall schedule had not allowed me to bear hunt. The stations were now old and would need to be rebated with grease and corn before it would do any good to hunt over them. However, the rough grouse season had opened. So I decided to bring Divine Arrow, Lost Arrow's English Pointer Mother, and Lost Arrow along in order to try and bag a couple grouse. This time, I made sure both dogs had name tags. Over the weeks, I had thought about and prayed for John. Was he still alive? Or had the cancer, which weeks before had already spread to his brain, taken his life? I decided that before I entered the state forest, I would at least try and drop the larger book of Devotions for Deer Hunters, Big Book, Volume 1, off at his house. It's a beautiful book written by over 40 authors and has many more deer hunting stories than the smaller pocket-sized booklet I had previously given John. Feeling awkward, not knowing if John was alive or dead, 
I wasn't sure what I was going to say if his widow, whom I had not met, answered the door. I drove down the dead-end road and knocked on the door several times. No one answered. Somewhat relieved, I placed the book in a plastic bag and leaned it against the door and drove away. I rebated the bear stations and drove to the back side of the forest and started grouse hunting. The vegetation was thick, and I decided to put shock collars on both dogs to help keep them within shooting range. One of the collars was brand new, but wasn't working. Because Lost Arrow seemed to be sticking pretty close to his mother, I decided to put the problem collar on him. This worked fine for about an hour and a half, but then, you guessed it, Lost Arrow disappeared. My one comfort was that this time my name and phone number were on his collar, tag, as well as on the shock collar. Once again, I put his kennel out and arranged plastic bottles and his water pan so I would know if he came back and visited the portable kennel while I was out looking for him. Once again, I started the long process of calling, looking, and driving up and down logging roads. Because this time I was miles from the little town of Gein where I had gone door to door the previous time, and because I was too embarrassed having lost Lost Arrow again, I didn't talk to anyone there. Once again, I was not planning on spending the night, but drove to the town of Orr, about nine miles from the little town, to put up lost dog signs and to call home from a payphone because I had no cell phone coverage. Beth and our daughters were praying. Later that night, I again called home, desperately hoping that someone had found him and called. No such luck. Throughout the night, I continued calling honking the van horn, and every couple of hours driving up and down logging roads, hoping he would cross the road or return to the kennel. The sun rose, and throughout the morning I continued the search. I again drove from the back of the state forest to the payphone in the larger town, again hoping somehow someone had called the number on Lost Arrow's collar. I knew I had to go home. More than 20 hours had now elapsed from the time Lost Arrow had disappeared. Where could he be? I told Beth I was going to drive back to the kennel one more time and then start home. If someone called saying they had found Lost Arrow, she could call me, and in about an hour or so, I would again have cell phone coverage. If there was a call, I would turn around and go back right away. I hung up and started driving back to check the kennel I had left at the back of the state forest. As I drove through the little town of Gein, getting ready to enter the state forest, God started prompting me to go down the dead-end road and check on John. I argued, God already went there yesterday and dropped off that book. Besides, I don't even know if the guy is alive. But the conviction grew even stronger, so I said out loud to the Lord, and rather begrudgingly, Okay, I'll go. I drove into the yard, stepped out of the van as John stepped out the door. His hair was thinner and was obvious the cancer had progressed. John said, your dog's here. I was totally flabbergasted and said, what? Are you sure? Does he have a shock collar? He said, it's your dog. He came into the yard a little bit ago. I said, I just can't believe it. About that time, John's wife, Cindy, came charging out of the house with the devotions for Deer Hunter's Big Book, Volume 1, in the plastic bag and said, Here's your book. We don't want it. 
Again, I was shocked and said, well, it's just a gift. I knew John is a deer hunter and, well, we don't want it, she said. I said, sorry, it was just a gift. I didn't mean to offend you. We walked over to the building and Cindy opened the door and sure enough, out came Lost Arrow. I said, I'm just so shocked he's here. I still can't believe it. She said, well, Beth called you. I said, no, I talked to her on the payphone just a little bit ago and told her she wouldn't be able to get a hold of me uh, for about an hour. Cindy again said, she called you. I said, no, she didn't. Unknown to me, right after I had called Beth from the payphone in Orr and headed back to the state forest, Lost Arrow had walked into the yard. Cindy had called the number on Lost Arrow's collar and told my wife, your husband's dog is here, and if he doesn't pick him up right away, I'm going to shoot him. My wife responded, please don't do that. He's on his way home, but I won't be able to get a hold of him for about an hour. He can pick him up in a couple of hours. She cooled down a little bit and, and then said, I won't shoot the dog, but if he doesn't pick him up right away, I'll call the pound and it will cost him a bunch of money. And she added, you can tell your husband we don't want any of his Bible-thumping books. John had remained silent while his wife was present. I only had a couple of dollars of cash on me, so I asked her for her address so I could send her a reward. At first, she refused, but when I said, I won't send any other literature, she gave me her mailing address and then went back in the house. Later, I found out that when she went into the house, she chose to check out my story. She called my wife, Beth, and said, you talked to your husband, didn't you? Of course, Beth was amazed that I was there and explained she had not talked to me since I had called on the payphone a little earlier. As John and I stood alone in the yard, I explained to him where I had gotten separated from Lost Arrow in the forest. I looked into his eyes and, somewhat exasperated, said, John, God is trying to do something here. I know without a doubt God sent that dog here. Cindy doesn't seem to be very open, but God will take care of her. You just need to make sure that you have put your trust in Christ. He loves you, John. Make sure you're ready. John just stood there. I got into the vehicle and then checked the odometer and drove to the back of the forest to pick up the portable kennel where Lost Arrow had disappeared the day before. It was five and a half miles. Lost Arrow must have traveled through some of the most difficult terrain imaginable. Why he passed up the little town of Gein or some closer place in order to wind up at John's place, only God knows. Well, maybe we also know. How about you? Has God been speaking to you through unique circumstances, a friend, a stranger, uh, perhaps even this story of Lost Arrow? What more can he do to bring you to himself? You know, friend, God loves you so much that he even went so far as to send his son Jesus to die on your behalf on the cross. Ultimately, how a person responds to an opportunity to personally receive Christ rests with the individual. We have either received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, or we continue to reject him. We are either gathering with him, or we are scattering abroad. Friend, a person cannot walk both east and west at the same time. We are either following the Lord Jesus Christ or we are turning away from him. And I want to ask you, what are you doing?
used by permission from Devotions for Dog Lovers by Dr. Tom C. Rakel, 2008, and Hunting Miracles, Ancient and Modern, copyright 2018 by Dr. Tom C. Rakel. Published by Rock Dove Publications, All Rights Reserved.